because this uh, might be the, the inner chronicle of what we are and we have to articulate ourselves, otherwise we would be cows in the field. Welcome to Cows in the Field. This is a show in which we discuss philosophical themes in popular films. My name is Justin. I'm Laura. And today we go back to the fact and the hacienda and the Madchester scene to discuss 24-hour party people. June the 4th, the Sex Pistols play Manchester for the very first time. There are only 42 people in the audience. Inspired, they will go out and perform wondrous deeds. For instance, behind me are Stiff Kittens, later to become Joy Division. Finally to become New Order. That's John the Postman, he's a postman. And welcoming back to the show, we have Mattia Acetoso. Mattia is a professor of Italian studies at Boston College. You heard him here before discussing two amazing directors' first films, which both came out in 1996, Wes Anderson's Bottle Rocket and Paul Thomas Anderson's Heart Eight. Welcome back to Cows in the Field, Mattia. Thank you very much. Hello. And, uh, well, Mattia, you know, we're also, I should have also mentioned that, you know, we're all, we're old friends from grad school. And, uh, you know, in the event that people didn't listen to the Bottle Rocket and Heart Aid episode, but people should, because that was a good time. And those are two super fun movies that came out in the same year. It's like very, it's one of these surprising things Mm -hmm. that happen um, where these two, you know, sort of phenomenal directors had their first breakout films and and both films are really good. Um, but anyway, we, we're talking today about 24-hour party people and Mattia, I want to start with you with this question because when we were talking about, you know, coming having you back on the podcast and I think you mentioned 24-hour party people and I know this is a movie that's dear to your heart. So tell us about your relationship to the film. Um, well, the, well, first of all, I'm very happy to be back. Uh, I have very fond memories of our first conversation. And I think there was a lot of conversation about music even that time. It was not, there was not much music in either of the films we discussed. But uh, my connection to this film is very personal. Um, uh, partly there's an element of nostalgia, and I want to go back to the idea of nostalgia later on because there's a profound connection to you know English music and nostalgia. But the fact that I come from an area of Italy which is very into into music, especially English music. And everyone is really well-versed in the music scene uh, of the 80s, 90s, post-punk. And um, and this movie was recommended to me by a dear friend who was the first friend of mine who actually spent time abroad, spent time in England, and told me, like, you know, Matthias, to watch this because it's a, great, it's a great film. It's fun. It's entertaining. And it just talks about the bands that we loved. And I think I watched him with him for the first time. I cannot recall exactly when I watched it for the first time. I can tell you, though, that I bought the DVD uh, at Cutler's. Remember on, on, in, in New Haven? I found yeah. the DVD. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it was this tiny, like, very funky, um, old-school record shop uh, that was on, uh, uh, was the Newbury District in New Haven? Uh was near Urban Art Theaters. Like, it was very, you know, like, the nice selection of DVDs. I remember watching it again. And so, like, uh, I like watching it. I like rewatching it. I am a huge Steve Coogan fan. And I'm a big fan of those bands. So, in a sense, for me, just as a way to reconnect to both my music taste and to my friends in my own town. So, yeah. th- that's why it's a personal film, in a sense, for me. That's great. I mean, so, when yeah. you were rewatching it for the podcast, I mean, did... I mean, had it been a while since you had seen it? Or what? Is this, like, a every, you watch every year type of movie? No, no, it's like... I, I watched probably last time it was... 
2007. I okay, wow. I don't, so, know, I don't remember the first time. Yeah, but so the first time was like, was I, I, I watch clips occasionally, like, you know, probably, I don't know, I have this terrible habit of, especially late at night, I go down the YouTube rabbit hole and I bump into, like, <laughs> yes. and I got obsessed and I watch scenes, you know, yeah. especially the scene that my, my favorite scene. But let's say this time I had more of, you know, I, we were supposed to have a conversation. I was more of a clinical view. Oh, good. And uh, okay. yeah, yeah. And um, I, there's much more, something I appreciated more statistically, formally. And something that made me feel very picky and like, why is this missing? Why is this not talking about this? Why is this an inaccurate? Or, you know, and then why don't I know what happens next? So there's a, there's a very, it was a very like, uh, I would say emotional uh, set third view, let's say, or, yeah. or end view, um, but also very like, what is this going on? So maybe we can uh, go into some of this. Part. Okay, so let's, but here, let's start with the music. Why not, right? Because I think this, what what is, one thing that's strange about the film that's charming as well, I think, is that the film is um, simultaneously a concert film, a sort of biopic, and a kind of meta-farcical comedy. Um, it's sort of all of these things at once. And, it, and in that, it has that kind of distinctive, you know, it's really become Michael Winterbottom's calling card, I think, in a way where it's this weird blend of fact and fiction where you you're sort of you're encouraged to watch the film as if what it's depicting was the real events but at the same time it it gives you a lot of create like uh you know distance it it's constantly distancing you from those events uh either in you know with the character of Tony Wilson played by Steve Coogan like directly addressing the camera mm -hmm. at which he does at several points yeah even commenting that these events didn't happen. Characters <laughs> say these events actually didn't happen. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, he has this quote, which he attributes to John Ford. What is the quote, Laura? Okay, so here it is. So this is the scene in the in the factory bathrooms when Lindsay, his wife, is having sex with a member of the Buzzcocks. And um, the actual uh, musician is there and like they pan over to him and he said, and well, I think actually Wilson's uh, Tony Coogan slash Wilson says, this is the real guy. And he says, this didn't happen. <laughs> um, and he said, but so Tony quotes, he says, but I quote Sean Ford when I say, when you have to choose between the truth and the legend, print the legend. Although the actual quote from the, from the man who shot Liberty Valence is when legend becomes fact, print the legend. So it's like a little bit, he's, he often kind of misquotes a, by a little bit in yeah. this movie, but in this one, I think it is interesting when he says, if you, when his version is when you have to choose between truth and legend, go with legend. And Ford's is once that legend beca has become fact, then, you know, they print the legend. There's like, there's, yeah, I feel like subtly his different. is that he's like, he's suggesting there's like more of an active conscious yeah. myth making in, yeah. in, in, in Wilson's world. Yeah. So anyway, I say all this well, like, yeah. just to comment on what you were saying, Mattia, but so, you know, but. If I, if I comment on this, what's, yeah. off, what's kind of like off-putting about the movie is this, is that stylistically it has this pretense of being a docufiction. Yeah. Like, in fact, it, it also includes like original um like videos from so all the concerts you see like Sex Pistols uh, Six in the Benches you see the, f the footage you see is the actual band mm -hmm. the crowd it's the actors like playing and, and then so in a sense he proposes like okay this is real but then you have this like narrator that oftentimes breaks the fourth wall which is something right. I love in movies to an extent I think of Alfie I don't know something like that uh, uh, it's a very 
British to me. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. It's very unreliable because you, it clearly, like, with the Laura's quote is perfect. It's like you understand that he's creating a myth. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a mythographer more than, than anything else. And um, that's what makes it compelling. Like, in a sense, you're like, what was like, what is he trying to say? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think that's what's so makes it much more than the sum of its parts. Like each of the individual things, concert film, yeah, you're like, that's fine. It, you know, I, I kind of know how that goes. Biopic, yep, know how that goes. You know, those are mm-hmm. very straightforward. Put them together and you kind of think, yeah, concert film, biopic, we've seen that before. There's been plenty of those. No, actually, this is still nonetheless remarkably different. And it's not just different in that it plays fast and loose with the facts, but that it has this kind of shaggy, self-deprecating quality. Um, and I think so much of that is due to Steve Coogan and his performance uh, as Tony Wilson. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, saw, I said we were going to start with the music. So let's start with the okay. music. We'll come around to Tony Wilson and we'll, we could ask the question, you know, is this a film about the music or is this a film about Tony Wilson? But let's start with the music. So... I know a lot of these bands are really important to you, Mattia. Um, so you mentioned before we started recording that that as the love as a lover of this scene and this and the music that there were a number of bands that were kind of written out of the narrative in, in this film. I mean, t- talk about that because I I I wasn't I, I don't know very much about the scene, so I was happy to take on board whatever the film was telling me. Probably mm. that was my fault because maybe a lot of it was you know, fabricated, but, uh, you know, what was left out? Well, uh, some of the other bands, they're, they're mentioned, some bands that, that Tony Wilson produced were mentioned, like the Certain Ratio, the Ruti Column. Um, they mentioned The Fall. It was another band, post-punk band that was pretty popular and actually, like, you know, sedimented the, the sound of Manchester mm. sound. But two, one, the Stone Roses, another Manchester band that, that sort of, like, probably took the torch of Epimandis and popularized it, uh, embodying that sort of, like, uh, auto-produce, self-producing, but also the Smiths, uh-huh. they're missing. Like, you know, towards the end, like you can see, Steve Coogan just sold, or like, you know, gave up the Hacienda and the Factory Record and he's smoking a joint with Sean and, and Rob from the Factory label. And then God appears. And of course, God looks like uh, <laughs> Steve Coogan. <laughs> of course. And said, Tony, you did a good job. Basically, you were right. Sean is the greatest poet since Yates. This is amazing. Can I have it in writing? It is already written in the sinews of history and the hearts of men. It's a pity you didn't sign the Smiths, but you were right about me, Hucknall. His music's rubbish and he's a ginger. So the first time I watched the movie, I was like, ah, so cool. 24 party people, Joy Division. And then you do the math and it's like, why is the Smiths missing? It's one of the right. most important British bands that connected, you know, the Beatles to whatever happens later so it's like why it's missing also and then going that's one okay one of the clinical aspects that kind of like you know kind of like ah this film is missing is the fact that tony wilson was very close to uh stephen morrissey like uh he saw him growing up as an artist and i didn't know so for example in this film uh he comes back to the uh, the concert in 1976 that he saw at the um with sex pistols um he saw the lesser free trade hall in June 1976 was a moment with that small crowd uh, that was an epiphany. But like I saw an interview to, uh, with Tony Wilson saying that he had an epiphany that year. And that's when he started bringing bands into his program at Granada Television. But he was first listening to Horses, the Patti Smith album in 76. Mm-hmm. Second, seeing Sex Pistols, but also three, receiving a, a letter 
after the first time he showed Sex Pistols on on as it goes the Granada television uh, from a young 14 year old kid that sent him like the sleeve of a record empty sleeve of the record of the New York Dolls uh, with the letter saying the Dr. Wilson, please include bands like this in your program in the future. Thank you very much. Signed, Stephen Morrissey, 14 mm. years old. Mm. And that's, and it was like, oh my gosh, this guy. And then he wanted to meet this guy, like Morrissey. At the time, he was just a poet, a writer. I said, this is going to be like the greatest writer we have. And it started a relationship. And odd enough, like he followed his career, uh, growing up, forming a band with Johnny Marr, and never produced him. Like, and there are so many conflicting like uh, reports about why he didn't. And even in an interview where he explains why he didn't sign him, is not clear about why he didn't sign him. Right. I think there was a disagreement with uh, with Rob Gretton, the other the partner with uh, uh, King King. Uh, what's his name? Uh, the, the the actor that plays uh, Rob Gretton is like um, Patty, Patty Conson. Con- Con- yeah. The, mm-hmm. What's his name? The king in the House of Dragons. Uh, oh, in, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's him. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> See? Um, yeah, Paddy Constantine. Constantine. He's a, tar- he's a Targaryen, so it was okay. getting ready to become big, you know, you know to yeah. mess up. You know. So in a sense, like um, they said, Rob was going around Manchester saying the Smiths are the new Beatles, but yet they didn't sign them. And hmm. the Smiths sort of signed with Rough Trade and moved to London. And um, I think it's also because that's a different kind of sound. So, yeah. Uh, going back, this is where probably reality and and fiction, twenty four hour people fiction, merge. In a sense, Tony Wilson also wanted wanted to be always in charge of his own narrative, like yeah. you see in the film. Yeah. So in mm-hmm. a sense, the Smiths didn't fit because they didn't fit with the kind of sound that he had in mind of yeah. rock mixed with dance. So probably that's why, in, in a sense, uh, I didn't sign. I it, think but. that's no. I think that's exactly right. Actually, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think what I had read was that Morrissey sort of refused to be a part of it um, because of her sort of like ongoing disputes with 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 him and Tony Wilson. Mm. And so I'm sure they were like close and they also had their issues. And like, I think there was going to be a scene where Morrissey makes out with Lindsay and like an actor playing Morrissey and Morrissey's like, absolutely not. Hmm. So it like Tony Wilson is still like in the center of all of this, even as they are making the movie, because like in order to have the, the, the musicians on board in order to play their music and in order to like have their, you know, have their blessing. They're all kind of like, this is all going through the relationships with Tony Wilson yeah. and they all have very mixed feelings about Tony Wilson is what I'm getting from what I've read. Um, I think it's also that, yeah, this is t- ultimately Tony Wilson's it's his movie. story. You yeah. know? And I think at the end of the day, you're right, Mattia, you mentioned Control, um, which is a, a biopic focused on Joy Division and Ian Curtis this is definitely not an, a Joy Division movie. You know, this is not a New Order movie. Um, and this is not really a movie about the Manchester scene. I mean, it is, but it's it's incidentally about that. I think it's ultimately a movie about Tony Wilson telling his version of the events uh, as he would want it to be told, or at least as some incarnation or avatar of him would want it to be told. Right. And, and the Smiths wouldn't be his success story. To, no. Like, so it's not, you're right, it's not in there. <laughs> and then, so I think it's, it's exactly <laughs> yeah. to your point. You exactly know, what Matias said, yeah. You know, on the Tony Wilson of it all, you know, I think what's, he's such an interesting character because he's simultaneously, like, I think this is a weird mixture of the of traits that he has. He's simultaneously an iconoclastic punk, right? He he doesn't sign contracts with his artists. I mean, whatever contract he signed was in blood, but it basically just said, we don't own anything. <laughs> um, he loses money constantly. It's a terrible business. He takes himself to be, you know, the highest honor to be never having sold out. Um, and yet, he's sort of 
obsessed with his, how he will be perceived in posterity. Like he's yeah. constantly comparing what's happening in Manchester in 1980 or whatever to other famous, you know, re- gen- you know, super famous events in human history, like the Last Supper or <laughs> the first manned airplane trip or the building of the first canals in, you know, or right. Archimedes discovering, so, you know, the whatever. Uh, what was he discovering in the bathtub? Oh, he's discovering that, like, yeah, water just like mass or whatever. <laughs> and you know, it's like, and he's he's like he he's like unironically comparing himself to these people. And then when in the end of the movie, when God shows up and he's like, I just saw God. He looked like me. <laughs> That's what a line. Because it's yeah, like, it's so, it's how he sees himself. He sees himself as this sort of Messiah figure who's, or really, no, not Messiah. He sees himself as Moses, right? Moses is the one who like, deli- he's the one who delivers the word of God to the masses, mm-hmm. right? He's on the, he, he, he comes and like brings it down. And I think he sees himself in that, in that sort of same vein. And, and anyway, I think it's a, he's just a fascinating character. And I think in some ways it's a role Steve Coogan was born to play because yeah, yeah he softens all of that um, self aggrandizement and he can do it so well. Excellent. Well done. Very good. Very so, good. So, so where is everyone? Um, we, had, we had 100 on the guest list. View at the Sex Pistols gig. How many people were in the audience? There was about 40. Right. Yeah. And it was history. Yeah, but there's only 30 here tonight. Exactly, exactly. The smaller the attendance, the bigger the history. There were 12 people at the Last Supper, half a dozen at Kitty Hawk. Archimedes was on his own in the bath. It's also pretty sub. Usually, Steve Coogan is another like actor bigger than life in a sense, like in other films. But it's very contained. He del- I think he delivers very well the character of Tony Wilson. Um, and um, Tony Wilson was very literate. Like was very well educated. Oh yeah, in a sense, it's part of that myth making. The sort of like you know quoting, misquoting. Yeah, to, to create the narrative they want about because I think that. Uh, uh, Sometimes you just keep telling like there's an, an epic element where you just like have you create your own narrative to to create the myth. So mostly create creates the myth. Even describing himself as a genius because of course he was not an economic genius, had no discernible talent like creative <laughs> talent, but he was very good at you know selecting the sort of the the right people. In fact, all of all of his decisions were kind of terrible, like economic decisions towards the end, like sending right. Happy Mondays to record. Uh, was that Barbados? Or yeah, whatever, something. Whatever, yeah. Whatever. yeah, yeah. I mean, but, I guess he was a genius at creating cool vibes. Yeah, right? I think that's right. He, like, I mean, yeah. even the thing where he's losing money on the New Order album, it's because it looks so fucking cool. Like, he's yeah. good at, like, making it look cool, making it feel cool, and, like, but, like, he's not making any money well, off of it. It's the thing where he's, because he's <laughs> looking to the future. He's not looking, he's yeah. not thinking like a record executive who's thinking about the third quarter sales <laughs> of this year. He's thinking about posterity. He wants to have yeah. created something that will last and he succeeded. I mean, that's the, 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 you know, to be in his defense, he yeah. succeeded at the very, he succeeded really to a, 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 an incredible degree at the very thing he wanted to do. And I think, um, you know, they made a freaking movie about him. And not only that, like, you know, many of the songs in the movie you will have heard. And they, and they did, you know, the, the Michael Winterbottom, the director of the film, he's just like, he's so good at peppering that in, mm-hmm. you know, like he'll be like, Oh yeah, you know this this band that you've heard of, and then like playing some Sex Pistols, you know, concert where they're playing "I'm the Antichrist" or whatever, you know, where you're like immediately like, yeah, I know that one, or like there's just New Order in the background playing 
Blue Monday or whatever, and everybody just, you're just immediately like, oh yeah, yeah. I know that song. Like, and it's just like, yes, Tony Wilson succeeded. These songs have become part of the DNA of popular music. In a sense, we never talk about the producer or the person who discovered them or made them, made the scene possible. Right. You need, you need these kind of people that, uh, that kind of enabler. And I think that there's a, there's a kind of negative connotation, but it sort of enables this band to thrive. And because you also need a scene, you also like venues, like you create a factory yep. night to allow the bands from factory records to play live. And the same happened with Hacienda. So in a sense, like that was his talent. And, and he I, was, I didn't a, want to I mean, undermine was, his qualities. But. Of course. No. And he, no, he totally talented. And he, because he was good at what he needed to do. I mean, the other thing is he was a promoter. He has a TV show and he was, and he saw talent and he put it on yeah. the air and he brought it to the masses. So, I mean, you know, he had a platform and, you know, what he would be now is an influencer, right? Like Possibly. that's what he basically would be today. Mm-hmm. He would be on TikTok and he'd have 10 million followers on TikTok. Like that, that's the kind, it, that, that thing is now, you know, he wouldn't really be like a, record producer no he's like the anti-scooter brawn exactly <laughs> yeah he's not a really producer he's just a he's just a guy who popular he sees something cool and he's like i think we you know i want other people to see this and share in this and that is a real talent i think it, it's hard to to seek so clearly the future yeah. you know I, I like what you say about the future but it's also something that if you think about it and we can talk about it later kind of it was at a certain point in music history it was lost and that's when i talk about nostalgia was at a certain point in time, let's say around 2001, 2004, like music stopped sounding, you know, looking to the future, mm. but started sounding like, which is the thesis of, I've left the book here. This guy, Simon Reynolds, is a is an English like music critic that after the strokes, uh, uh, it's sort of like bands started looking yeah. back. And mm. then even now, if you think about it, like very few, you have this sort of sense of like craving for a different future. Like what is the, sound of the future now we're more like we want to make this sound like yeah this band the other band so and i think in that sense it's it's true like Tony Vigerson was a visionary because he was looking forward so yeah no, no that's really interesting actually can we dwell on this point because i think it's it's happening like quite significantly in popular film right now and television mm-hmm. too everything is backwards looking nostalgia driven and um and there are, I mean, of course, there's lots of good stuff too, but like, it's very hard right in this moment to kind of see through, but a, very, a good way to tell is to just, drawing on the, the book you just mentioned, Mattia, is to just sort of set aside all the nostalgia stuff. And then think about the stuff that is, which is not driven by nostalgia, that's actually trying to push forward. And much of it is maybe, maybe not succeeding in, in these terms now, but it very well could succeed in 10, 20, 30 years because it's ahead of its time in, mm-hmm. in this way. And it, I do think that like, I don't know because I don't, I don't listen to enough like contemporary popular, popular music to like be in the scene. And this is when Mattia and I met each other, I was much more immersed in like a music scene, but yeah. I am not anymore. So I can't speak to that. But I do think in the case of films, like it is unfortunately also very backward looking. So yeah. we, you mentioned like we, uh, we 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 talked about music first time we met. Yeah, uh, I can send you all the pictures you want, Laura. Privately, I send you pictures. Yes. Of, uh, <laughs> privately, I sent you stuff on I the cows in the field website. We, we, whatever. No. We met. Was <laughs> um, it? But I remember, like, we went yeah. to see like uh, one of the concerts we went together was at Casey Tone for the Painfully Alone. Oh yeah, we went to Casey. Yeah, it was at like a. Um, it was in 
I mean, do, do you remember this concert? Right? Yeah, it was like, yeah. it was like, um, it, social know, center. Yeah, like social that, center. Yeah. yeah, it had yeah. like, like fluorescent lights and they didn't turn the lights off. So there's a concert with yeah, yeah. standing only because it wasn't even that full, but it wasn't even that big. Like a community, like, like a, a community center. Okay. Like, like okay. Wasn't it House Street? Like House Street towards On House like Street, the, exactly. Yeah. Whoa, okay. It, it was like not a concert venue and they just stood up there and, and one of them was playing... Yeah. Oh, actually, that was the the opening band. But yeah, but Cassio Tone was was the I, the opening band actually made yeah. an impression on me too. Actually, because they one of them had like a hand driven organ. But yeah, no, they didn't even turn the lights off. I mean, what a what a strange concert. And we we would go see concerts like this all the time. And there's a lot of concerts in New Haven in Davis where I went to school. Where we, there used to be free concerts all the time. And I was just like, yeah, I'll just go to this free concert. And who knows? And then it turns out to be like a like an amazing band that you know you later are like. You hear on the radio yeah, six or, years later. You know, whatever. You, or you just are end up listening to a lot. You yeah. Know? Um, so anyway, yes. But this is not the world I live in now. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's, it's, I think that, yeah, there was a, this kind of the hiatus around, you know, 2000, 2001. Uh, so the book that I was talking about is called Retromania. It's by Simon okay. Reidel. It's this, you know, music journalist that cares. Um So yeah, that something was lost at a certain point. Like that bands started like to look backward, which is nothing wrong in a sense like that's how sort of what happened with um with steve cook and sex pistols like you know you have the avant-garde that was the avant-garde you break with the past and then you build something new by reconciling the past and the new at a certain point this process broke like i like yeah. when, like when ton like steve cook and tony Wilson explains how movement go up and down yeah one movement <laughs> goes down one goes up you know and he said happy monday are here like you know what was going down was the previous British and then was going up something new. Now at the moment, I think that will be a flat line or like something goes back or say, what are we going to recover? The strokes were looking back, you know, remember the strokes, vines, uh, looking back uh, uh, to like um, the garage band, like Iggy Pop or like, you know, that kind of scene. Uh, and then you had like Interpol looking back at, at, at Joy Division. And I was like early 2000 kind of like a uh, uh, music scene. And then we never, never like uh, moved away from that trend of, of recycling sounds, uh, sort of like uh, uh, relying on nostalgia as a feeling that kind of feeds our music industry because it's profitable. <laughs> like, in mm -hmm. a sense, like, you know, um, and especially with, it's something that it sells and, and then if it sells, like, music industry tends to promote that. This, this sort of excludes the indie rock scene in a sense. Like, you know, still like independent bands and stuff, especially thanks to streaming online cheaper cost of producing music it's fine but the general trend is like you know not looking to the future but looking back like to make the present more uh palatable in a sense yeah. um we need a tony wilson i guess that's that's yes. the lesson yeah. right we need a tony wilson to come in and, and shake up pop music i also, have a I think little about also the streaming services come, sorry laura i didn't uh, the, as the streaming services is that they're not helping like sometimes you have spotify and it could be like wow i can listen to so many new records and end up listening to the same old records yeah. that i listened 10 yeah. years ago so in a sense like nostalgia wins so yes it's true we need the visionary that helps us look with faith to the future yes music future yeah yeah uh, I just, I have a little like anecdote about Tony Wilson because he was there on set a lot. Okay. And so I, I read this article that was written by by a journalist who went and visited set and he did several interviews with Tony Wilson and Wilson would just like leave him voicemails and stuff <laughs> afterwards because I think the biggest thing that he seemed that Wilson seemed concerned about with this movie was not that he was going to like that they were going to take the piss out of him because he knew they were. And he was like, I'm at peace with it. That's cool. That's mm. fine with me. Like, that's a good story, you know? Um, but what he was most worried about, he's like, when there's a movie about you, then like, it's like your story's done. 
And he's like, I'm not done. I'm making factory three. I've got other things going yeah, on. Like, he's like, I am yeah. not like, I do not want, you, you know, people to like, to, you know, put a period what? at the end of my sentence right yeah. now. Like he's, he's still always in 2001. He's like, I'm looking forward always. That, that's also fun is that they made this film celebrating that moment of his life when he was still alive. Like, I mean, he died in 2007. Mm -hmm. I don't think he was sick at the time. He didn't know. So it's that's bizarre to me that you do like your own biopic and I know yeah, well that's what I find so interesting yeah. about this movie is that I feel like it's so very it's it's in 2001 and in 1976 through 1985 wherever whatever that span is at the same time constantly because we have this you know breaking of the fourth wall because we have this post constant references to postmodernism and like and because we're having all of the the musicians show up and do cameos in this movie, yeah. sometimes explicitly so and sometimes more hidden, which I like later found out because I I am not knowledgeable enough to recognize when they're there, but mm. they're there. And so they're like on set meeting the actors who are playing them. All the actors got to meet their counterparts. The musicians are all there. When they have the uh, the Hacienda last night thing, what they did is they recreated the Hacienda and they just ran like a club for three nights to get the footage. <laughs> and New Order came and DJed. That's cool. So like they're all there and they're all sort of like seeing their own stories be interpreted and they're all reacting in real time to their stories being interpreted such that like the Buzzcocks guy is like, you need to say that this didn't happen, you know, like and then he's in the scene. Yeah. So there's like there's like this dialogue constantly in the movie and it's in the fabric of the movie between 2001 and the past. Yeah, that's interesting. So the movie is is kind of, you know, whereas they're looking forward they're looking forward to the 2001 when the film is being made, which are simultaneously looking back mm -hmm. because ultimately this is a navel gazing film. Right. And, so, and we're kind of in this loop with yeah, it. Yeah, that's cool. I think there's also a, a quote in the film that I think sort of summarizes the maybe if, if there's anything that is trying to I mean, every quote that Tony Wilson throws out is, is in a way an encapsulation of his own view of the world. But it, the Boethius quote, which which is mm -hmm. quite interesting, actually, the the. Apparently, the character who says the quote, who's a homeless man, um, and Tony Wilson also says the quote at one point, but uh, is credited as Boethius. <laughs> yeah, so, okay, so Boethius as homeless man. There you go, keep up. Sorry, mate. I'm Boethius, author of the Consolation of Philosophy. It's my belief that history is a wheel. Inconstancy is my very essence, says the wheel. Rise up on my spokes if you like, but don't complain when you cast back down into the depths. Good times pass away, but then so do the bad. Mutability is our tragedy, but it's also our hope. The worst of times, like the best, are always passing away. I know. I know. What I think is interesting about this quote is that it does summarize the kind of Stoic philosophy that Boethius was interested in, which is in part a, an, a, an attempt to sort of reconcile yourself to the fact that because things are constantly changing, it's 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 sort of fruitless to try to hold on to anything. Um, uh, but at the same t but at the same time, I think what Tony Wilson is doing is trying to square that circle. The circle being the wheel, right? Because what he's doing is he's constantly looking forward. He's constantly moving. He's like a shark, right? He's riding the wheel. But at the same time, he's riding the wheel with one mind 
looking backwards at himself from the future, riding the wheel and being like, I can hold on to that. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. it's, it's once the wheel's turned, the fact that it's turned that way will always be the case. So I will always have been the guy who found Joy Division or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I will always been the guy who started the Hacienda or whatever. And so that is like a way of attempting to kind of hold on to the mutability while you're in the moment of the ups and downs of everything. It's right. So take that external perspective, which is what he's always doing with this posterity thing. He's mm-hmm. always like looking to the future in order to like, as you said, Laura, look back from that vantage point of the future when everything's fixed and you can hold on to it and it can be unmutable, immutable. Um, and anyway, I think I, you can see a lot of the tension in Tony Wilson's character, I think through that, right? Through that kind of coming to terms with i think what he sees as the fact the truth that you know life is a wheel and it's inconstant um so anyway i I like that i like that a lot i think i think a lot of the quotes are very revelatory of tony wilson as a character icarus if you haven't heard of him maybe you should read more (laughs) (laughs) yeah he was like that in real life he was very very well versed in literature philosophy history like uh he was very well educated but not in a sort of like uh showing off it was really like came natural it was part yeah. of the character i think it was a, l- a little showing off yes but it's sort of like you're not imposing like, yeah, oh, yeah you know you should know it's he wasn't I, a uh, jerk no he wasn't yeah. a jerk about it but but i mean we we both uh had beers at the grad student bar and uh and met a lot of people who would be willing to throw boethius quotes into sentences that they say <laughs> oh boy say those people say the gypsy is the yeah gypsy is hacienda yeah, Gypsy was the, uh, come on, Gypsy was our hacienda. That's so yes. embarrassing for you guys. <laughs> hey man, we had a lot of dance parties at Gypsy, no, and it was Toad's, Toad's place was the hacienda. Yeah, that's, that's true. Yeah, Toad, Toad's place was was fact one, and Gypsy yes. was the hacienda. <laughs> Just so Gypsy was the hacienda in the very beginning when it was totally empty, and there were like 10, oh, 20 yes. people there. No, for sure that was. <laughs> yes, it wasn't ecstasy hacienda. It was no. just. It was like. Almost brink of failure, well, Hacienda. You know what the thing? Yes, that's true. I would but say, I would say uh, to, 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 in favor of these places, I, I don't know how many of the listeners know, but anyway, the Gypsy <laughs> was this graduate club. It became cool at one point when they restored the backyard and all the art students started to show up. Started to show oh, up the, art students are cool. the art students yeah. are there. It's cool. No, of course. Yeah. We were always yeah. trying and to like, were coming there, hook so up with the art students. Okay. We were always like, All they're I know, so cool. All I know is I would go to the bar there and there'd be like a dude with his like Emerson book just like sitting there like a giant <laughs> brick and I'd be like, ugh. Yeah, <laughs> no, I mean, it was like, most but of the people that, that were PhDs. Toad Place, Toad Place at the side effect that I met my wife at Toad's Place, but uh, also like <laughs> there were great shows. I saw great bands there. So we've talked like, about oh. Toad's Place on this podcast yeah. because Mattia, the you were with me right at Mon- of Montreal. Did you go? See oh yeah. yeah, yes. So we talked to uh, Paul Keelan, who uh, is a host of Cinematic Underdogs. Oh. Shout out to Paul. We talked to him about the film Almost Famous, and which is about touring bands and stuff. And we were asking about all the bands he was in. He was in a band called, I think it was Bear Wires was the one that he did. Was it the Palms one? Palm, yes, to, uh, Painted Palms. Painted Palms. Painted Palms opened for Of Montreal. Now, I didn't remember Painted Palms because I was there to see Of Montreal. But we ended up seeing Paul's band because he was in Painted Palms. Oh. And remember that the show that Of Montreal did with all the people dressed up? Yeah, yeah. He was one of those people. So oh, this, really? This awesome. strange kind of like, you know, the... The wheel comes back around, just, and, yeah, you yeah. Know. Anyway, but, but yeah, that, yeah, so many, I mean, really, many bets from all. I saw the 
I'm like move gonna move I moved to New Haven in August 2005 and at the time I had uh I was listening to sorry probably, the Decemberists and Dobbs that was like a very popular mm-hmm. English band at the time and they both played in September I was like wow I came to the coolest place on earth yeah and I kind of changed my mind a little bit but I still got to see like <laughs> I got to see two very cool shows I never changed my mind I think New Haven is the <laughs> coolest place oh on gosh. earth wow New Haven is very to me is very comforting like yeah I mean uh, it's it's part of like I don't know if it's the nostalgia <laughs> welcome yet, to or, fear or the fact, but I have very fond memories like and I think people <laughs> is what made it special. So totally, yeah. No, I mean we had a really special moment there. We had our own hacienda. Oh my um, gosh! But you know, okay, all right. But there was no, unfortunately there was no Sorry. Tony Wilson. We did not have no, a Tony, we had Wilson no Tony Wilson to, to channel to bring all us all of together. That together. Yes, into a scene. Um, you know, one of the other aspects of this that I think is really funny is that Tony Wilson. We constantly are reminded that Tony Wilson has a day job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he's busy like doing all his concert promoting, but then he has to do these because TV segments. Any money, <laughs> and he's got all these interstitial TV segments where he starts up with hand gliding, but then one is like a duck that herds sheep. <laughs> I like, I like, I like the the, the guy that cleans the channels. It's like, uh, the, yeah. The, 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 <laughs> <laughs> that had no recollection whatsoever. Yeah, what did, he, what was, did you remember? And he said, very little. Very little. <laughs> well, I, the other part of that, like, he's like, he says, he starts out, Tony Wilson's introducing him. He says, this guy, whatever his name is, he, he, <laughs> he's cleaned the channels in this century and the last. And then he's like, when did you start cleaning the channels? And the guy says, around 1900. <laughs> he's like, well, almost on the cusp. <laughs> oh, man. I have with me a very special new friend of mine. Mr. Peter Duff, who works on the canals, not just in this century, but can you believe it in the last one? Peter, mm-hmm. the canals. How many years ago exactly? What year was it that you started working on the canals? 1900. 1900, yeah. right. On the cusp, the cusp of a new, a new age. Mm-hmm. What do you remember about uh, the canals in those days? Very little. Very little? Yeah. Peaceful. Peaceful? Yes. I don't, think we, I don't think we're going to be able to use much of that. Do you want, I mean, the chap's barely standing. Do you... There's a bunch, of, a bunch of cameos also. Simon Pegg is in it as a, yep. jour, as a journalist, yeah. There's one of the... Yeah, uh, Simon, but, also the, but this uh, is like 20... before Simon... I mean, how big is Simon Pegg at this point? Is he in he's space? He's in space, but he's not... Yeah. Um, no. Shaun of the Dead. Sha- I think Shaun of the Dead wasn't come. I, I didn't come out yet. It was like 2000. We should, I should check exactly the time. Yeah, uh, I, the it's day, coming. But... It's coming. He's in space though, so this is a cameo for like fans of BBC. It's 2004, so yeah, not yet. Um, and uh, actually, the actress who plays I forgot the name who plays Steve Coogan's first wife. Mm-hmm. She was in Harry Potter. Uh, She's Moaning Myrtle. She's my favorite. Oh, I love okay. her. She's also the voice of Babu Frick. I found out when I looked it up on IMDb. Babbles. <laughs> yeah, because she's she does a lot of voice work. Because I mean, obviously, she sounds very different in Harry Potter as Moaning Myrtle than she does in this. But movie. you can still see she has this goofy kind of. Like, yeah, her my favorite quote Muppet of this whole voice. movie is not a Tony Wilson movie. It's a quote. It's her quote when she just says, "It's a bit grubby, 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 grubby." I love the Northern English accent. It's it's beautiful to listen to. <laughs> She looks like Sandy Shaw in this film, like the the singer, which I, I loved. Yeah. She, yeah, her costumes are phenomenal. Yeah, in this. she's great. She looks great. Um, the characterization of Tony Wilson in this is so meta because it's it's Steve Coogan 
simultaneously, you know, taking a piss out of Tony Wilson, but then also making him, you know, the probably more charismatic than the actual Tony Wilson. Um, But do you have a favorite Tony Wilson quote from the movie or just quote from the movie in general? I have a bunch. I couldn't choose one. So I'll tell you my Give us a couple, ones. yeah. Yes. Um, okay. One is called, I think you, you you paraphrased it earlier, but it's like, the smaller the attendance, the bigger the history. Mm-hmm. There were 12 people at the Last Supper, half a dozen at Kitty Hawk. Archimedes was, was on his own in the back. And then one that's kind of like, reminds you of a line from Parks and Rec. It's like, jazz is the, oh, sorry, I, I, I ask for forgiveness to the older jazz player, but. Jazz is the last refuge of the untalented. Just musicians enjoy themselves more than anyone listening to them does. He's not. Look, he's not wrong. Un- the untalented thing is wrong, but the but the like they enjoy themselves they more, more than yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. fans. I mean, the fans. If you ever go to a jazz show or like a like a fusion prog rock show, the fans are enjoying it too. It's just that the musicians are enjoying it as much, if yeah. not maybe a little more than the fans. Which and is like, great. Uh, there's a there's a scene in Parks and Rec where. Uh, What's her name? Um, Leslie? Like, uh, yeah, that, yeah, Leslie, no, because like, play, just what is jazz? Just play the right notes. <laughs> like, um, and that makes me think also of Fred Armisen. They did like an entire special for jokes for musicians. It's just the nerdiest thing ever. And it describes people going to, I think the case was like people going to, going to blues concerts. They just walk in, and they listen to two notes, like uh, super epic. And then after five minutes, like, Try to sneak out. It's the same. <laughs> oh man! Anyway, so, yeah. I mean, it's I, okay. Fine. Apologies to the jazz fans. Uh, Sorry. My, I'll it's give fine. you. Go I'll watch, give you a go watch La La Land, you jazz fans. Yeah, jazz fans, yeah, <laughs> uh, or or Whiplash. Uh, okay, so or any <laughs> Damien Chazelle, Chazelle movie. movie. Um, okay, I the part. I think my favorite part in the whole movie, which is like, a part, Laura knows that I'm about to you know enter into the tone uh, world but so it's just the part where he's he's just showed up at the club and they're they're you know they're gonna rent out this club for on like saturday nights or whatever from this guy tony and he, he's like wait a second hold on he gathers his crew together right he gets um gets his crew together and away from from tony and he's like we got a problem there's only one problem i really i think he says that. there's only one problem in here. Um, there's a problem. You never told me it's called Tony. Who? What's up? To- Tony. There's two Tonys. Yeah. Well, that 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 straight away. That's a that's. Can you not see how that's a potential problem? You have two people. He's in charge of the club. I'm supposed to be in charge of whatever it is we're doing. There's two Tonys on equal pegging. It's a confrontation. You know, who's Tony number one, who's Tony number two? There's going to have to be some sort of differentiation. Yeah, but he's not called Tony, is he? He's called Tony. You know, Don Tony. It's his fucking surname, Tony. Is it? Yeah. It's a bit grubby. Yeah, I know it's grubby, but we can get it cleaned up for the nights we're in. That's worse. What is worse, Tony? Well... Sort of harp on about this, but that he, that makes him Mr. Tony, and I'm just playing Tony. Yeah, what's wrong with that, Tony? Well, that's a hierarchy there straight away. Mr. You know, Mr. Tony is more important than Tony. Hello, Mr. Tony. Yes, Mr. No, Mr. And just plain old Tony. Tony, me mate. Tony. You know, I've got to have some sort of credibility. Why don't you just call him Don? How about that? See if he goes for that. Call him Don. Don. Oh man, I love that. I think. 
another my favorite quote or moment that is not a, a Wilson moment is um is there is the recording of with um Martin Hammett. Yeah. And uh Martin is like just really annoyed with that. I'm like, he's just like, why don't you just play your fucking instruments? Good. Why don't you? And like, you know, he's like drinking like scotch. Yeah. You, wear, the you, wear, you wear it well. Now play it like a musician. Right. Yeah. yeah. You wear it really well. Exactly. Yeah. He's just like so annoyed and he's drinking. And I like that moment where he just like has a heavy side and he's like, I want to hear it on the roof. <laughs> <laughs> Can I mention a, a personal anecdote? Like, yeah. the, so that guy, the bassist, Peter Hook, yep. which actually, as responsible the sound of Joy Division as probably Ian Curtis, like those like very sort of like hypnotic bass lines. And uh, they split the band. It was also in New Order. Now he hates everybody else and he shits on them. He also wrote a biography years ago. And one time I was coming from work and I decided to get off Coolidge Corner. At the time I was working, walking Austin. And then I stopped by Brooklyn Booksmith and I see giant posts saying, Peter Oak, former Joy Division, presents his book. And I was like, is this him? And I crashed. And it was like, I was... I spent an hour with him, like it was presenting the book. Cool. And I was like, wow. Serendipity. So I was like, oh my God. I even skipped dinner so I could see him. Like, Did you get a know, signed copy? No, no, oh, but I yeah. I think it said something. I already used something. But yeah, I, I was, at least I was there. It was in the you crowd. You were there. That's like, awesome. So, yeah. um, Peter Hook said about this movie that it was the biggest cunt in Manchester being played by the second biggest cunt. But he did the DVD commentary and he was there <laughs> DJing at the Hacienda. So again, like this is how they all feel yeah. about Tony Wilson. Like you may not love him and you may think he's an ass, but like also he is the son around everything. Yeah, like everything Rob, is <laughs> Rob is like in one moment Moment trying to beat the crap out of Tony Wilson, <laughs> and then the next moment they're smoking a cigarette and it's all good. And, yeah, and then the next moment he's trying to kill him again. <laughs> Martin Hanich tried, like I don't know, is he shooting a blank at him? He, Tony know. Wilson has guns fired at him twice in this movie. <laughs> I think he just misses. That's a point. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> yeah, there's, another, there's another fun quote about um, Martin Hanich. I wrote it down. It's like um, the time um, you can you can't threaten me, Martin. You're a big man, but you're out of shape. Although you could still sit on me. That's okay? <laughs> <laughs> like, like, I like that one too. Because he like got that. super fat. He got and really he fat. Died, yeah. He was 48, 42 when he died like Martinette, like another heart attack. I mean, oh, like, terrible. I mean, my favorite is, is when they're at the funeral and he's like. Death puts things in perspective. We're all equal in the grave. Except Martin, obviously, who's a huge character. So huge, his coffin wouldn't fit in his grave. I remember thinking, Martin Hannett. Too big for death. Strengthen the hope of resurrection in those whose bodies. Anyway, it's, just, it's like disrespectful, but he also hated. So mean. He hated so that mean. guy. They were like frenemies to the end, you know. Uh, the other one that I really like is when he he's doing Wheel of Fortune, which apparently is not true. He did not actually okay. uh, well, host Wheel of Fortune. He hosted other game shows, okay. but probably, you know. So they do Wheel of Fortune so he can throw in his Boethius quote. Yep. And he goes yeah. in there. He's like, welcome to Wheel of Fortune. It's the wheel, blah, blah, blah. He does the whole thing. And then they cut to the producer who is actually the actual Tony Wilson. Yep. Right? And he's like. What just just cut from Welcome to Wheel of Fortune to them spinning the wheel? <laughs> I just think about that because, like, because I edit this podcast, and there's a lot of times where I'm just like saying stuff, and I'm just in my mind thinking, "Yeah, just cut from <laughs> the question to the person responding," and you have all this thirty second in between. Just cut all that out. <laughs> Sorry, I had like a really I, my my mind also just went to Tony Wilson and this like the joy of him sort of like getting to like 
edit his own that as you edit your yourself to make yourself sound better in this mm-hmm. podcast Justin, mm-hmm. and you edit me to make me sound better so thank you for that everyone gets um, a good edit yeah you know obviously wilson's not like editing in, in in this movie but like there's fun fact he wrote a novelization of this movie after it afterwards <laughs> yes <laughs> so, like, <he's>, like, <laughs> which is the, funny it's like you know when you, when you buy the book of, of like the i don't know one time i saw the uh dramatization the novelization of aliens like mm-hmm. what, yeah, yeah. What, I would want to novelization of Tenet is the one I want to get a novelization okay. of. When I was in the sixth grade, I got a novelization of the Sixth Sense mo- movie yeah. because I was too scared to watch it, but I wanted to like know what was up, <laughs> so I read the novelization. We should do that. Should be the one we do for a hundredth Sixth Sense. Uh... All right, maybe not. All right, well, well this is coming out after the hundredth, <laughs> so we have, will have decided. Um, <laughs> one random thing. Which is we want you want to talk about Michael Winterbottom. So yes. and uh, I'm, I, I, I'm I must confess I am not I was not super familiar with this entire like filmography because it's too vast too large. Like for example, like except for the movies he presented in nineties to Khan, like Welcome to Sarajevo, Wonderland, um, but all the series, the trip, you know, trip to Italy, trip to Greece with Steve Coogan and uh, what's the other guy, uh, Rob Rob Brydon. Yeah, that I'm not a, necessarily a big fan. That's entertaining, uh, but it was also the I didn't realize he was the director of a film that I'd watched, and it's also a musical film. It's called Nine Songs. Are you familiar with that? No, film? I have not seen it. It's, Tell it's, us about it's, it. It's actually it's a it's a it's an erotic film, pretty much. And, huh. and then it was recommended to me the same person who told me to watch Thirty Four Hour Party People uh, because I love that music. So it's about the music scene in two thousand four. So it's a story of this uh, British uh, researcher. He works on is an, is a climatologist. Works in Italy, who meets an American exchange student in London. They meet at a concert. And all the film is like nine songs played, like so nine concerts that they attend and nine sex scenes, pretty much. Hmm. So it's like concert, sex, concert, sex. And uh, and it's one of the most explicit like uh, um, films ever presented at Cannes, which is incredible. Hmm. Uh, very scandalous. But it's also like a, a pretty good love story in general. I, I didn't realize it was directed by Winter Model. So I wanted to look more into that. And it's funny because, yes, this sort of like pretense of pretty much like for people of, of cinema verite, sort of like, oh, wow, this is, everything is real. The sex is unsimulated. Truth is, I was reading like interviews with the actors, like Michael Winterbottom was choreographing the whole thing. Mm. It's like even every single movement in the sexual act is uh, heavily choreographed, which mm. is really interesting. In a sense, there's a, there are parallels with 24 hour party people, given this pretense of like uh, yeah. reality where it's actually heavily manipulated. Yeah, no, totally. I No, that's really interesting. So I have not seen that film. For me, that connection point was with the trip. So, because mm-hmm. I mean, that's the one that most people will have seen of Michael Winterbottom, and and that's the case where you have, I think, something which looks like it's effectively a documentary. They they're playing themselves. Mm-hmm. They're do. I mean, and they're really going to these restaurants and eating and so on. But I'm sure, much like what you're saying, it's it's you know, it's improv comedy, but it is filmed and it's you know it's written and there's an arc and everything and and it's they planned it out and but i like that idea of the thing that's presented as as real but it's really fake like i there's mm-hmm. something kind of intriguing about that you know the the iranians i think are their masters of that but like in in world cinema but like i feel like winterbottom is like the he's like the english equivalent of that and um I do really, I mean, I know, like, Laura and I are going to sit here and disagree about the trip. It's fine. We don't have to get into it. No, I mean, I, I'm I like the trips. I like that element of the trip. I just, do they need to go on 400 trips? 
And do I need to hear Man in a Box again? Because I don't ever <laughs> Man want... in a Box is great. They're all, ever... they're all... Or like them just doing Michael Caine for the 800th time. Okay. But that stuff yeah, is great. True. It's repetitive. <laughs> the other one I want to <laughs> shout out is The Look of Love. I think this is doesn't get very much love at all. Uh, <laughs> when I look on my Letterboxd, you just... only two people have seen it. Well, whereas only, I have only seen the it. poot heads have seen it? I have seen it. And I think it's pretty funny. I mean, Look of Love is about... Paul Raymond, who's basically the British Hugh Hefner. He's like builds a porn empire. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a good. Come on, it's good. <laughs> okay, you recommend on. it. I think it's fun. Streaming now on Canopy. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> Let me see. If I, yeah, Listen, Winterbottom and Coogan have, had, have formed from this movie on. I yep. think this is the first one that they did together. A beautiful partnership. And I'm happy for them. I just find it really grating. <laughs> I, I, I'm just really watching out the playlist of that film I told you, Nine Songs. And the yeah. Nine Songs are really part of that scene that, I, that we mentioned earlier. Like the, the, scene, the music scene when music started to sound like something else. Tell us. Mm-hmm. Like what are they? So and it's, it's funny that he had a movie about when music looked at the future and then when music... Probably we didn't know at the time. Probably 2004. We still didn't know that. The Wheel of Fortune. The sort of yeah, like it's, it's going to become spinning. a line. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to become nice. a line. What were some of the become songs? Become a lie. Oh, I see. So it's Dandy Warhol's uh, Black Rebel. Yeah, Black Cycle Rebel Cycle Club. Yeah. Uh, the Von Bonnins. They're like Primal Scream, Super Furry Animals, Franz Ferdinand. Yeah. Franz Ferdinand. Forgot Franz Ferdinand, we're, we're playing in my hometown this summer on the Greatest Hits show. Yeah. I know, we're old now, man. We're yeah, old. I was like, oh my gosh, it was like so awesome. And it was like 20 years ago. Like, These oh are gosh. reunion tours now. <laughs> yeah. They're all old. Yeah, most of the concerts I got recently, it's, so it's mostly reunions or like, I feel old. I felt old when Jimmy Ward played uh, at Spring, oh, yeah. Spring Fling at in Spring 2011. Fling, yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's awesome. And I was like, oh gosh, why am I the only one enjoying this? <laughs> no, I think the crowd was into. I think the crowd was into Jimmy. They just wanted to hear the hits. That's the thing is that that yeah. Spring Fling is a very difficult venue for bands because you know bands come in and they want to play their new stuff or whatever, and they were you know hired basically to just play do, those. Do you have the equivalent of Spring Fling at MIT? No, I don't think so. Oh, yeah, because yeah. at Boston College you have Modstock. What's that? Because uh, the the it's like the Spring Fling. Yeah. It's in the spring towards the end of the semester, they have a concert and they have a party. It's called Modstock because um, there's a, there's an area of, where the senior live on campus. It's all like houses built in the seventies called oh, modular yeah, houses, mods. aka the mods. Yes. It's party central. Senior yes. lives there. That's a party, and 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 they mostly they do like uh, so mod mod stuff. I don't something like pond, and they do concerts. And and every year I ask my students who's playing, and they come up. They're very excited about some band, and I don't 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 know don't know them. And I'm like, I feel so bad. Yeah, you're old now, Mitch. Yeah, I'm very old. Um, <laughs> I'm 24. I was 24 this summer. So yeah, you're moving backwards. We, uh, we <laughs> I mean, it, it, yeah. I think By a couple of decades. The thing that we have not succeeded in is creating a musical movement that will outlive us. And I think that's that's. There's still time, right? There's still. You time. mean us personally? Yeah, that's. We're old, and we want to be remembered in posterity, and so we need to do our own Tony Wilson thing. So, you know, just get on it, Laura. Um, I, I made know, a Laura, child, Laura. I, I did my posterity. <laughs> that's thing. true, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Laura's like, wait, has anyone discovered Taylor Swift? I, I got, I got someone for you. 
Yeah, Tina, no, I haven't listened to new Jack, artists Jack in a decade. Yeah, yeah, all we listen to now is chi- children's music. And that right. and Weird Al. Our, our child is really into Weird Al in the last 24 hours. So. We have a Taylor Smithson as a top four. He likes Lizzo, Harry Styles, yep. Unknown Mortal Orchestra, and Phoenix. So we are... We are hey, it's, it's okay. okay. You it's, snuck Phoenix in there. Nice. <laughs> yeah. No, Phoenix yeah. is bouncy. That yeah. would be good. I should play Ethan's and Phoenix. Yeah. Um, yeah, is there anything cuter than a three-year-old being like saying, blame it on my juice? Blame it on my <laughs> <No>. juice. <laughs> we listen to Lizzo and we are afraid that he might repeat the actual words. So, yeah. 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 Um, I sometimes just yell louder over Lizzo when, uh, when she, but there's a lot of bitch in this, in this yeah, song. Yeah. Like, oh, beach. Oh, yeah. 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 He likes, she likes to go to the beach. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Exactly. I'm like, hey, bitch. Let's go to the beach. <laughs> <laughs> She's always calling people beach. What is that all I about? I know. But uh, so you said, there's no telling us about doing it. And I told Wilson with this kind of like way of like of delivering music, like yeah. you can self promote. That's the problem is like uh, having the visibility or the. That's the thing is, it's, uh, you have to cut through the noise. There's everyone yeah. is self promoting. So the problem is that yeah, there's too much. Like yeah. how can you, even if you have like maybe maybe out there there's some. Oh, I was about to say some MySpace profile. Gosh, I'm old. It's TikTok, uh, but, uh, Matthias. TikTok, <laughs> TikTok. Some some TikTok artists that or podcast. Yeah, but even for example, yeah, also the way you listen to music, TikTok. There are short videos, yeah. and so your music has to be catchy right away yeah. if you want to sort of like pierce through the fog, you know, sort of That's like. Right. To cut through the noise, right? Um, and so it's it's difficult. Like probably the the way we consider even the idea of a song might become or be outdated. Look, think about how we listen to music. Like every year, you have uh, the earworm that accompanies the gazillion of TikTok videos. This year was like Makaba. Remember, like uh, it was in every other TikTok videos. Like, the, the, and it's just a clip. The song is like three minutes, but you only yeah. have that ten seconds. So, like, how can you use TikTok to promote music? Uh, you have to capture attention and. I mean, I see many bands using Instagram um, to, uh, you know, to sort of like generate uh, attention. Yeah. But they do it sideways. So there's, there's a band called October Drift. They do it kind of shoegaze and they promote like um, pe- guitar pedals or gear. So they get you oh, in through that. Or, or like, you know, or the band with a funny singer doing memes and then you watch the memes and then you listen to the music. So, um, yeah. I think that the fruition and content just are changing completely. Like uh, I don't think I would be um, able to do that. I don't, know. Oh, don't say that. I mean, you would. You would be if you were if you were twenty four now, Mitzia. Which uh, well, you are twenty four. Twenty four. Yeah. Okay, yeah. never mind. Uh, you would. You would be fine. Yeah. No. I mean, I think that's the thing. Is like we. It's we're just we're old and we the tech. We're now experiencing what our parents or grandparents experienced when they like encountered the internet and they were like, what is this thing? And don't go on there and chat with people. Remember when we all got that talking to, uh, and now look at what we're doing. We're chatting with strangers on the internet. Um, (laughs) but, but I do think like that is, it is that it is that we're, we're just like, I don't know how to, you know, I don't know how to cultivate the kind of, uh, personality that would be TikTok appropriate. Like, I just have no idea. Like, I can watch those videos and sort of broadly understand why they're popular, but I have literally no idea how to engage with that. Um, and there are so. agencies that sort of like nurture that kind of talent. If you notice, some of many influencers, you notice like managed by. Uh-huh. Like if you go dig and you know dig, uh, you know there. You spent some time on TikTok, Mattia. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean I don't have TikTok. I, I like like most old people that have twenty four plus other 
years. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I watched it. Uh, I watched TikTok videos two weeks later on Instagram. You know, yes, so okay, whatever was popular two weeks ago, I watched it on Instagram now. Yeah, so, but I think uh, the older a, person thing would be to watch the TikTok Digest on YouTube. Oh. Right, but it's a funny. <laughs> thing. I, I honestly like. I, I again, I go down depots of like the of both YouTube and yeah. Instagram. I watch videos, clips, which is terrible. Uh, it's terrible for my ADD, uh, ADHD. Um, <laughs> and, and I don't even like. I, I like Instagram because there was no. I didn't have to read any caption. I just like photographs. Yeah. And I, 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 I even now I appreciate, but now like the algorithm favors videos. So I end up myself like doom scrolling. <laughs> so, a lot of videos uh, on. Yeah, it is true. Um, well, Mattia, thank you for being here. Thank you for You're talking 24 hour party people. Um, we'll hope to have you back at some point again. Uh, and maybe we could even do like a, an Italian, you know, Yale Italian studies department reunion here and just get you and uh, like Griffin, Griffin and Griffin. Chris Kaiser yeah. and Toby. Toby. Like, we've got we've had three now, out of four. Of I know those. three out of four of the crew. Griffin, and we're talking we just to you. do not have Griffin yet. Um, but <laughs> I, saw, I saw Griffin in New York and I told him you should try, you should go on. on, on. Okay. I'm promoting thank you, you guys. Yeah. So, yes, good. But you try uh, to go there. But thank you for being here, Mattia. And, um, and you don't have any social media to promote. You don't care, right? I don't know. No, I have my okay. personal Instagram, which is private. So okay. no, I don't. So. Don't follow Mattia on Instagram, but do <laughs> you follow, can't find him. Do follow us. We are at CowsPod on Twitter. You can find us on the web at cowspod.wordpress.com. I will promote you, though. Thank you, Mattia. Yeah, can you send uh, out some of those circa 2008 photos of Justin? Yeah, <laughs> send some of those. <laughs> so, no, we'll put them on the we'll put them on the the site for the uh, for the people. We, f- send me a couple of them, and we'll we'll put them up. Um, <laughs> in two weeks, we are going to be talking to chad perman editor-in-chief of brightwell dark room about joe versus the volcano so that should be fun a film i have not yet seen but i'm very excited because chad is very excited to talk we're having a thanksgiving yep thanksgiving all right talk to you guys soon bye